Greetings and salutations. This is Ethan Sawyer, the College Essay Guy. We're going to bring more ease, joy, and purpose into the college application process. Now, how do I do that? Well, on the podcast, I interview amazing people in the college admissions world with amazing ideas and minds and try and analyze their genius and then break down what they're sharing into practical, actionable steps. And I didn't really have to do that much on this episode. If you know me or if you've listened to the podcast before, you know that I'm a resource junkie. And my guest on this episode, Sean McElroy, is a kindred spirit in this regard. Sean's the publisher of two blogs. Uh, internationalcounselor.org, which focuses on all things college admissions and which Sean believes, and I have no reason to not believe it, that it's one of the oldest continuously running blogs on college admission. He started it about 14 years ago. The other is strengthsmining.com, which I'll link to in the show notes, which focuses on applying research and principles of positive psychology and putting those into practice. And if you, dear listener, are a resource junkie like Sean and I are, then this podcast will be like food to your soul. <laughs> I think Boys to Men said that in the, they're like a song from Mama. Wow. Hashtag 90s R&B. Hashtag Nate, Mike, Sean, and Juan. You'll hear me say at the start of this conversation that Sean's going to share eight free college application tools. But once we finished, I went back and counted like 25 resources. So for fun, I asked my editor, Nathan, to give a little every time Sean shares a new resource. So you can enjoy that. And I hope you enjoy this fast-paced resource extravaganza courtesy of Mr. Sean McElroy. My guest today is Sean McElroy. He is a veteran school counselor. Check this out. Right now he's at the Shanghai American School, but he's worked in Victoria, BC, Canada, in Bangkok, Thailand, in Caracas, Venezuela, and as I said, he's now in Shanghai. He's trained counselors on four continents and helped start the Counselor Training Center. He's got so many resources to share, and we're going to get into a few of them today. Sean, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Ethan. I'm super excited to be here. You know, one of the, I love the way you said Caracas. It, most people are like Caracas. And you, you got a little Latina thing going in there. That's awesome. Yeah. I, well, you know, and I always kind of like debate because, you know, having grown up in South America, there's, uh, you know, I, I can do that. But then there's a part of me, I don't want people to think that I'm like, you know, sometimes it can be distancing and then sometimes it like pulls people in. So I'm glad it pulled you in. Yeah, that was awesome. So, you know, Sean and I were sitting at breakfast this morning. And by the way, maybe you can just set context. Like where where are we and what are we doing this week? Uh, we're in a gorgeous little uh, lakeside resort in Lina, China, a town nobody's heard of, but I'm sure there's like 5 million people here because that's what happens in China. We're just out of, outside of uh, Hangzhou, Westlake, which is the ancient capital of China where Marco Polo came rolling in. And uh, my school decided we'd take all our 11th graders, almost 300 of them, on a retreat. What could go wrong? <laughs> um, one of the things that we really wanted to address was, uh, you know, really jump-starting this college process. Our, our students, all of them, are going to university somewhere in the world. We have alumni studying in 15 different countries. Um, and so part of the agenda this week was certainly getting into the essay process. Um, and part of that experience is 
well, I got to write about me, but who is this me I'm writing right. about? And so how do we help them understand themselves over the last uh, uh, dozen years here in China? You know, we've been evolving a curriculum of self-discovery. And through that process, some of the things I've investigated is my, my school is actually really well-resourced, but when I train counselors, they don't always have access to um, the dollars to afford cool tools like Naviance, uh, which a lot of schools use. Uh, so how could we do the same experience if we don't have if we have a very limited budget so uh, I've been you know playing around trying to find things that are insightful generating for students and counselors yeah so I'm excited we were talking at breakfast in the morning because I really wanted to get Sean on the podcast and you know Sean is like me where he is able he's resourced in that he you know he, he'll find the cool resource and he takes the time to go out and do the research. And then he's collected some of these resources on a blog. And so we'll share about that later. But, you know, just to set this up, Sean, there's, there's, I know there's a, there's a great range of things. Um, I don't know, you know, maybe we don't need to set it up. Maybe we just need to jump in. Let's just jump in. What sure. do you say? So we're going to share, or Sean's going to share eight free tools that are available to, and this will be relevant to students who are looking to discover more about themselves, you know, make this process you know, easier, more fun. And also, you know, these are tools that definitely counselors can use. And then in the show notes, we'll share links, et cetera. So let's jump in with the first one. What do we got? Sure. Um, sort of the gold standard is the Myers-Briggs type inventory. I know you've done uh, training in that and uh, lots of schools use a tool called Do What You Are. You know that one, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, one of the cool things about that is uh, you do this quick self-assessment and boom, you get these four letters. Uh, I'm an ENF. P, although last night I felt like an INFP. Um, and why, why did you feel that way last night? I, you know, you just hit this certain threshold of how much time uh, can I be plugged into people. That's what, you know, the E is, this extrovert. You get your energy from connecting with people. The I, the introvert, um, is uh, on the opposite end of the continuum. And it is a continuum, and you're both things. It's not that you are only an extrovert or only an introvert. An introvert gets their energy from inside themselves. Um, so I found that distinction a really helpful way of thinking about both myself, but also the students. You know, you get these quiet kids who, you know, when they send you an email, it's four pages long and rich. And when you meet with them in person, they're like, uh, and it's this long pause and painful because they're thinking. Right. Um, so internet, a lot of schools use uh, a tool inside Navigance called Do What You Are, um, which is uh, by E human resources. Human e-sources, yep. Yeah. And I'll uh, link to this in the show notes yeah. so y'all don't have to like scribble this down. Uh, it's based on a book by the same title and it is this notion that uh, you know, if you understood your personality better, you could possibly find a career that makes sense. Like uh, a disproportionate number of lawyers come from ESTJ, um, and the J stand. It, it, I hate the last two letters, judging and perceiving. I don't even know what that means. Like J, a better word for that would be like orderly or systematic. And the P, I always joke, it's piling because that's what P's tend to do. They organize <laughs> by piles. Uh, but, you know, a better word for that is adaptable. And when you start understanding these dimensions of personality, it can help you understand yourself better. Like P's tend to be... Uh, really have a hard time making decisions, or that's what it appears like on the surface. The reality is peas tend to really always be looking for more opportunities and really want to make the best decision based on 
all the available data. Peas are also fantastic with deadlines, but only when they're right in front of their face. Um, whereas Js, you know, like when you counsel a J, one of the delightful things is they tend to do stuff they're supposed to. They're hyper um, responsible and organized. Um, so, you know, we've always had the kids do do what you are, and we have a way we unpack all of that. Um, but when I started training counselors, it was like, well, what do we do if we can't afford this? There's actually a ton of free versions of the MBTI online, but my personal favorite is 16 personalities. Um, it's just really nicely laid out. Uh, it'll take you about sort of 15 to 20 minutes to do it. It's not very long. Um, the reports are fairly rich. They, they're one of those, um, you know, they give you a fair bit for free and then there's a premium version, but even with the free version, there's enough stuff there that you can kind of understand. It's just like most versions of the Myers-Briggs type inventory. There's strengths and weaknesses, communication, you and a team, um, and then a list of careers. And, you know, if you just Google, like, what, what are you, what's your personality type, Ethan? I'm actually, I test as an ENFP as well. Uh, well, you know, if we Google ENFP uh, careers, you can, you know, the first... 10 pings on Google are going to give you a bunch of university websites and private sites, but it'll have listings of careers. So it's pretty easy to find mm -hmm. a way of jumpstarting. And, you know, I, I became a believer uh, when one of my students who had actually left the school was had come back through Shanghai International Schools, kids come and go. Uh, she came back with her dad and she was ready to apply to college. So they really wanted to talk to me. Um, and the kid had decided she wanted to be an engineer. And I'm like, uh, where'd that come from? And she's like, remember that thing you had me do back in ninth grade? Um, well, that got me started to thinking. And that's the key. Any of these tools. Yeah. It's not the tool that's the outcome. The tool is a box to stand on to look at yourself, to look at the world around you and how you fit in it. So she went in there and saw this list and, you know, a couple of things rose up. But one really resonated, which was engineering and that seemed to show up for a lot of people with her personality type. Yeah, beautiful. This is, I mean, you're, we're starting off with a home run. This is something that I've been using for a few years with my students. And the way I use it or have tended to use it is I'll just sometimes just give students the book. So I have like eight copies of this book, and it's one of those that I give out a lot. Or I'll just, if I'm working with a student remotely, I'll say, go on Amazon. You don't necessarily even need the number, the, the most recent version. For a penny, you can buy the, um, you know, the other version of this, the, like the, the version that came out a few years ago. Just search Do What You Are on Amazon if you want to get the book. You take a quick personality assessment, and then boom, you're off to the races. Is there a particular way that you use it with your students that you feel like could be even more like next level useful just in terms of, I don't know, if you, you know, give them advice in terms of relating to their college essay or, you know, how, what's some of the pre-work that you have students do related to once they have their type, what do they then do with it? Yeah. So one of the things we do is, is uh, a claiming exercise. So if you print out the actual printout of what does it mean to be an ISTJ or ENFP um, and then grab a highlighter. Highlight any words or phrases that resonate with you for whatever reason. And really the top of the mind response is best. Um, and then you need to discuss it. Um, this tends to be a more extroverted thing, but I find even the introverts really like to have conversation. And the conversation you want to have is the reflection. How does that show up? Um, you know, so ENFPs tend to be good at meeting people. Um, you know, so, well, what does that mean in the college search? Mm. Well, colleges are going to be coming through your town. Maybe go press the flesh. Let's talk <laughs> about what that looks like. Um, you know, if you look at the weaknesses, again, there could be 
fodder there. Like uh, I, ISTJs, the introverted, sensing, thinking, judging uh, element, um, those are actually kind of the counselor's dream and nightmare all rolled into one because the dream side is they get everything done. The nightmare side is they rarely talk to anybody about it because they're so hyper-organized. They've already thought about it. They have a system that they're working through. And the counselor's like, I have no idea. And parents get really frustrated, especially the extrovert parents who just want to, you know, chat about it every moment they get. And the kid's like, I've already got this, you yeah. know. So um, understanding yourself and understanding that other people don't always share it. So, you know, an, an add-on to this is uh, Susan Cain's work uh, called Quiet. It's a book. Uh, she has a fantastic TED Talk, uh, which is about 18 minutes long, where she outlines the book. Uh, she wrote a sequel last year to the book that is actually really actionable, um, mm -hmm. where uh, she focuses primarily on teenagers um, and how they, you know, sort of case study model what they found to navigate this world, because schools are increasingly extroverted worlds. So these great, quiet kids have this challenge where teachers are rewarding group work and the introverts are, especially the extreme introverts, are exhausted by the end of the school day, you know, and they, uh, a lot of sharing circle type idea, and again, they're exhausted, you know, so like, um, she coaches students about how to navigate this world. Um, I, so to me, that's the other add-on uh, that I often have parents read um, to better understand the kids, especially extroverted parents. Now, the funny thing about Quiet is pretty much every extrovert I know never finishes the book. They get about halfway through and they go, I get it. You're quiet. <laughs> um, you know, so it's a, it's a challenge. I feel like I, I have a, this sort of real soft spot for introverts and I want to kind of champion them and help them uh, better understand themselves. There's nothing wrong with them. In fact, you know, I love Susan's sort of tub, subtitle for an introvert, um, you know, the quiet person, the thinker. Mm. You know, the world needs more thinkers. Um, so helping them be okay with being this sort of quiet thing and helping them clarify that, you know, being quiet isn't about n not having friends or being shy. In fact, there's nothing to do with that. It's about having deep and meaningful friendships. This is awesome. I'm seeing like how much more we are kindred spirits in this, Sean, like, and loving this resource. So one of the things that I've been working on that I'll share it in a future podcast on is at this resource for helping students take that. And then I've written like 30 pages on how to then turn it into an essay. It's not ready yet, but if you're interested in it and you're a counselor, shoot me a quick email or put it in the comments and say, Hey, I'm interested in that resource. Cause I've been trying to figure out, is this something that, that folks are actually interested in? So great. All right, let's move on to the next one. What do we got? Uh, via character strengths, via stands for values in action. This was developed out of uh, UPenn and university of Michigan, Dr. Martin Seligman, who's sort of the godfather of positive psychology, where he flipped the world psychology on its head and he said I'm not interested any longer in talking about what's wrong with people but what's right with people and so since about 2000 there's been you know about 25,000 different studies focusing on what's right with people mm. um, under what conditions do individuals and communities flourish mm. and sort of the sort of backbone of this and we've made it the backbone of our program is character strengths now there's various uh, strengths assessments out there, most of them cost money. Uh, VIA is underwritten by the Meyerson Foundation. Um, and what they did, because uh, Martin and uh, Chris Peterson at U Michigan are academics, they had this incredibly rich network around the world of academics. And so they reached out to them and said, uh, you know, uh, what values does your culture um, celebrate? 
And they started generating a list and they asked them for paragons of virtue. So here in China, Confucius is one of those paragons of virtue or the Buddha or, you know, in the West, Christ or, um, you know, Abraham Lincoln, you know. So when, when I say Abraham Lincoln, what values do you immediately think of? Uh, honest. Yeah, Honest Abe. Mm -hmm. Well, that's one of the 24 character strengths right. that pretty much every culture values. Mm -hmm. Humor is another one. Mm -hmm. Love of learning, you know, that's Confucius there, you know, like... These are different elements, and they show up in all of us. Mm -hmm. Now, the ones that are sort of your go-to strengths might not be my go-to strengths. And it's not that, um, like I suspect we both have love of learning and curiosity um, as two of our go-to strengths. Um, you know, those are just different rank order, if you will. And the theory behind um, the positive development is we tend to use the things we know. Mm. Um, and a lot of school becomes uh, involved around deficit remediation. What are you not good at? Mm -hmm. You know, at some point, you got to just let that go. And if you actually look at highly successful people, they tend to actually be very aware of what they're not very good at. And they partner with people who kind of complete the circle, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, you know, on the other end of the, rather than focusing on trying to become good at something that they're not, like being just, it's sort of very zen, you know, accepting it. <laughs> now, what if you understood your strengths better and how to leverage them more fully, how to mine them? Mm -hmm. So, you know, you take the assessment, it's sort of 15, 20 minutes, it's available in, I think, 24 different languages. Um, as I said, it's free, you push a button, Boom, you get the rank order of all 24. What we do with our students is we focus on the top five or six. If you were to take the assessment again a few days later, chances are it'd be pretty close to the same. You know, in your top five, probably three or four would be the same. Maybe four, five, six, seven might be slightly different. But, you know, the ones at the bottom of your list are not likely to suddenly be at the top of your list or vice versa. You know, so like, I, knowing the bottom of the list is helpful. Like um, uh, self-control is number 24 for me. And, you know, people strong in self-control tend to be those guys who get up in the morning and go for a run. I admire them. I think that's awesome. <laughs> it's not, you know, it's not me. <laughs> exactly. And that's the key. It's not me. So what we have the kids do is when they do the character strengths is we have them, again, unpack it through sharing stories. How did this show up this last summer, for mm -hmm. example? Mm -hmm. um, you know, right before heading into the senior year, we have all our kids uh, unpack the, their top five and give an anecdote that illustrates each of their five character strengths. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so... Uh, love of learning is one of mine. So how does that show up? Well, I actually walk to my work every morning and I have my headphones on. I'm actually reading a book every morning. Uh, and my friends think I'm weird. I put it on double speed because audible books tend to talk very clearly. Yeah, totally. And when you I put it on faster, it's not a big deal. I do the same thing. That's yeah. funny. You're, yeah, you're reading it twice speed, obviously. That's amazing. So this is connected to, so I, I'm loving, loving, loving this. And this is connected to, you know, in an earlier podcast, I talked about the montage style. And it's something that we've talked about, yeah. Sean. And it's sort of like, how can you clearly demonstrate what your superpowers are? And how are your superpowers or your skills or your values, or in this case, your strengths, manifest themselves in your everyday life? Once you can get four or five of those, you've got the content for a college essay, right? Yeah. Well, and one of the things that, you know, the exercise you had our kids do, um, 
where you look at challenges, needs, um, and work them through the cycle. Um, the other piece that, you know, for me, the add-on there is when you do all that, now take a look at your character strengths. Which character strengths are resonating through there? You know, the, the neuroscience behind it is well-founded. We can actually, um, you know, the, the neural pathways that are used get used again. They become wider, so to speak. Um, you know, so people who are strong in things tend to stay strong in those things for their life. You know, yeah. these are their go-to things. And if you do the permutations of just five, the combination of five, it's not the individual pieces. It's how they interact. Yeah. And, you know, so it's like about uh, four million potentialities of the top wow. five. Um, so, you know, on this planet, that's you and a few thousand people are similar. If you just looked at the top five. Now, if you actually strung the 24 together, and then, you know, how dominant is it? Like, ah. humor is one of my top five. I get uh, that. You know, yeah. so, like, how does that influence love of learning? You yeah. know, so the, the videos I'm drawn to watch, for example, when I go to TED, I the ones that really resonate tend to tell stories. A version of humor is obviously, haha, that's funny, but stories engage. And to me, that's the subtext of humor is about engagement, having fun, really getting deep. You know, so helping kids really get into that. Now, some of the research that's really exciting is people who thrive at their work, who view their work as calling, tend to be using their strengths more often. Mm, um, you know, that's good. Now, if you think about that, what's the implication for college? Well, what if you went to a college that fed your strengths? Mm. So, you know, some of the strengths of heart are kindness, mm -hmm. um, generosity, teamwork. Well, kids like that and love, the capacity to love and be loved. Kids like that, if they went to a hyper-competitive program, mm -hmm. it's not that they couldn't do the work, but they're not likely to thrive mm. because the very nature of that place is probably going to violate the essence of who they are. And I'm sure you've had friends in your life who have this job that just seems to weigh them down. And it's the things that they do outside their job where they come alive. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm going to suggest that's a misalignment of values mm -hmm. in action. That's the via, the character strengths. You know, and if they could figure out how to bring more of their values inside their work mm -hmm. or shift their work. Mm -hmm. Now, in our work, working with students around colleges, that means looking beneath the surface. All colleges are going to feed strengths. I mean, obviously, love of learning and curiosity is going to show up. But what about prudence? Mm -hmm. You know, this is a hard one for me to get. You know, what is prudence? You know, one of the activities we have our ninth graders do with this is identifying activities the schools offer. You know, we want the kids to get plugged into this rich extracurricular life. You know, so teamwork. Obviously, you can join a sports team. You could join the quiz team. You could join, you know, it manifests itself mm -hmm. in so many different ways. Um, generosity, you could volunteer, you know, like as a way of giving back to the world. Well, prudence, you know, I'm sitting with a group of uh, guys and I said, so how, did, you know, what, what would feed prudence? And he's like, long pause. And he goes, chess club. I'm like, that's brilliant. <laughs> it really is. Uh, and, you know, prudence is way down on my list. That's why I also get in trouble. And it's also why I was never a great chess player mm. because it's like, whoa, I can move. Oh, I didn't, oh, I took my fingers off. Oh, well, there goes that 
queen. Oh, well. And there goes the self-control thing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so two things that I just want to flag, he, you know, Sean mentioned this exercise there where it walks students through the, you know, what are the challenges you've been through, the feelings, the needs, and there's a column that he mentioned that's about, and by the way, I'm mentioning this because if you just Google feelings and needs exercise, college essay guy, or you look in the show notes, you'll see this exercise and you can walk through it yourself. The column he's talking about is the the one that's after the what did I do about it. So based on the stuff that you did, what values or what strengths did you connect with? You know, What are your superpowers that you were able to experience and express? How are those manifesting in your life? So that's one. And the second thing is you know, to students who are out there who do an exercise where it's you know, focused on a limited set of values, they might start to feel like or worry about blending in with other students. And I think this is a great point that you're making that the way that these values, because these values or these strengths are so universal, the way they manifest themselves, one, is so different. And two, the permutations, the way that you can combine these, especially when you're starting to rank them, is huge. So just wanted to make those two points. Great. All right. The, the, the other thing with the VIA from the counseling end that's and on an individual level is when you're feeling frustrated, when you're feeling like something's been violated, you know that feeling? Yeah. You know, you're sure. interacting with people all day long and something just not rubbing you right, right way. If you look inside yourself in terms of which of my character strengths is being violated right now, that's probably going to give you great insight. Like, so for example, fairness is one of my top five. Mm. And so when people are treating each other poorly or when somebody's being taken advantage of that, I can feel my back get up. Now just, I've always known that mm-hmm. I didn't have a language right. that I could share with people. Right. And that's been the powerful tool. So when I meet with teachers to talk about students and how to better uh, work with them, we have a shared language. This is the power of the VIA yeah. character. So if, you know, again, for any of these tools, if they just Google them, so the first one, 16personalities.com, uh, boom, there it is, uh, via character strengths, uh, org, but just Google via character strengths, and it's right there. Um, these are freemium models. Again, you know, you take <laughs> it, you get a great report, you could pay extra to get more, yeah. uh, whether you need it or not. I've also written a lot about uh, strengths development in uh, one of my blogs called strengthsmining.com, and the idea is they're really taking... Uh, some of the great research from positive psychology and making it accessible to, uh, you know, both uh, teens and adults and how to use this in the real world. Awesome. I love how much you know about this and how much time you've spent creating resources that are useful. So everybody, that'll be definitely in the show notes. Just click the link and you can get to Sean's blog. All right, let's move to the next one. What do we got? Um, You know, in terms of learning, um, there's been a whole lot of variations of learning styles. Now, the reality is the research doesn't support that learning styles really exist in the world. Yet it's one of those things that if you take a learning styles assessment, it sort of makes sense. <laughs> right. You know, so to me, the value is in making sense for yourself, whether it's true or not. Right. Um, so one of my favorite ones um, is from one of the universities. It's called VARC, which is like visual, oral, uh, something kinesthetic. I forget what the R is. Yeah, but. so V-A-R-K. Yeah. And, you know, so if you're a visual learner, you're probably, uh, you know, the kid in class who loves it when film clips are shown or when there's conceptual diagrams, you're probably doodling in your notebook. Mm-hmm. The oral kid loves listening, um, great lectures. They're probably drawing a podcast. The kinesthetic kid, that's the hands-on. They're the ones that probably can't sit still. And the moment you get up to do simulations, they come alive. Mm. Um, you know, so this is 
just understanding these elements about yourself and how you learn best. You can also look at colleges from that way. You know, some places are much more hands-on. So when you think about that kinesthetic thing, you know, if a college has an emphasis on co-op, you know, you might actually really thrive that where, where co-op learning is you have a paid employment that's related to your major. Um, you tend to have three to five work terms over the course of your college career, um, you know, where you're applying your learning. This is where you're going to get in and doing it. You know, if you go to a place like Colorado College or Quest University in Canada, these are the block schedule, you know, one course, three weeks. That sounds incredibly intense, but you're not sitting in a lecture hall for that time. You know, when you take geology at Colorado College, that means every day is a field trip to the Rocky Mountains because that's where you happen to be. Uh, If you take history of the Trojan War, it's a three-week course that happens in Turkey, Mm -hmm. i.e. where the Trojan War actually happened. Like, how cool is that? So understanding how you learn best, um, you know, could help you make your learning more accessible to yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, lots of teachers will teach kids how to do mind maps. Now, for a kid who's strong in, in the hearing side, this doesn't make as much sense. Yeah. Um, you know, but I didn't have access to audiobooks when I was a kid, mm-hmm. but I think I would have really, I'm a slow reader, but I love reading. Mm-hmm. Audiobooks would probably really help jumpstart me. Again, I found, you know, in my lifetime, I've been really drawn to engaging powerful speakers um, because I think it really feeds that side of my understand. Yeah. Just a quick side note, for those of you who are interested in <laughs> doing mind maps with students, I was made aware of this really cool resource called Coggle, C-O-G-G-L-E dot I-T, which is how you can help a student create a mind map and then click a button and it turns into an outline. So that's a really cool one that I believe is a free resource. So All right. Let, let's jump, uh, you know, go a little bit uh, further. Majors. Now, you and I know that most kids are going to change their majors. The research suggests about 75 of uh, 75% of us will change their majors at least once in college. Did you change your major? Absolutely. <laughs> what did you start out as? So I started off as English, and then I actually changed my major while I was applying. So I was like ahead of the game there. So English, and then I changed to theater, and then I switched it again to performance studies, and then I switched to a minor in English, and then I got rid of that. So yeah, I probably switched... Two or three times. I was a double history English major. Uh, you know, during my second year, I discovered there's no future in history, but I'm pumped. <laughs> That's good. And then, uh, you know, I, I took a random course because you can do that in college, you know, and it, one of the random courses was uh, through our uh, counseling department. And so I, uh, you know, double history English major put me in counseling, quite wow. literally. And I became a major <laughs> in child and youth care counseling. Um, right. You know, so, but what I've noticed is a lot of young people feel like they should have an X marks the spot. And Mm. more importantly, a lot of parents feel like, especially in this economy, you know, like the kids should be training, you know, and the beautiful thing about America and Canada in terms of university, you can easily double major, Mm -hmm. you know, so you could do one that feeds your passion that might not seem to have an obvious career path. Mm -hmm. And you could do a different major that maybe gives you a skill set. But the reality is three quarters of the jobs out there while they require a college degree, do not require a specific major. Mm -hmm. Now, where they do is a licensing issue, you know, like nursing or engineer. You know, if you're Boeing and you want to hire an engineer, I'm sorry, English lit majors, you're just not the guy I want designing my airplane. Right. Not that you're not smart and talented, but I want the guy 
designing my plane or the woman designing my plane to actually understand aerodynamics <laughs> right. at a very deep level. Yeah. And it's the same with accounting and teaching and, you know, a handful of other careers like that. But, you know, to go work in business, you don't have to have studied in business. Right. In fact, I think that's a huge mistake. Most school counselors become incredible champions of the liberal arts and sciences because they see this broader-based training and thinking being a way to understand yourself in the world that you occupy and how do you contribute to that. You know, so there's a whole range of uh, great things coming out around career development. Mm -hmm. um, a really easy one for kids to do or counselors to set up in their program is mymajors.com. Um, the lovely thing about my majors from a counseling standpoint is I can create an account and send the personalized link to my students so I have, um, you know, a space there where I can see what my kids' reports are coming out. It's about 20 minutes. It goes beyond just your sort of personality elements. It looks at your interests. It looks at, um, you know, what courses you uh, really thrived in during your high school time. Like, these are the questions they're asking. And then it generates a list of majors that you might find intriguing. Now, one of the challenges, even a small college like Pomona, you know, it's, I don't know, 1,200 students, 40 different majors. Yeah. Most high schools have like seven, eight departments. So you're not even like, I didn't know what anthropology was until I took an anthropology course, mm -hmm. sociology, um, you know, biophysics. What is that? You know, like neuroscience. Well, I think it's sort of psychology, but it's sort of biology and maybe, I don't know what else it is, you know, like, mm -hmm. so until, you know, and that's what university should be, some discovery. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I'm cautious about the major idea mm -hmm. and the career development thing. I think you have to kind of wander through the world a little bit. Mm -hmm. And the problem with a lot of career assessments is it devalues serendipity. Mm -hmm. Like you think about what you're doing now, and I've heard you talk about this, you know, you feel like you're doing the thing you're meant to be doing. Right. There was no test in the world that was going to do that. <laughs> right. Um, you know, I'm gonna... I don't think they list college essay guy on my majors. <laughs> <laughs> uh, note to self, add to. Uh, you, you know, and they, but that's the thing, you know, like bloggers. They didn't exist 10 years ago. Right. You know, but people make a living through that. Serendipity, you know, there's, there's a guy uh, who started Vox. He was at uh, University of California, uh, Santa Cruz. He just started writing about politics because he loves politics. Mm -hmm. And he was, you know, just writing it on this software and people started reading it. And before he knows it, he had a huge following. Mm -hmm. And then he, you know, figured he could actually leverage this. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, that property is worth, I don't know, millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. And he's doing what he loves. He was not going to become that through following his major quite like that. Right. Um, you know, but at the same time, especially if mom and dad are like, so what do you want to do with your life? Well, it's nice to say, here's something I'm moving towards. Right. That's a great point. And so, you know, just another evidence that we're on the same page there, I'll link to a blog post called five reasons why it doesn't matter what you major in, which happens to be one of the most popular blog posts on the blog. But if you were to just throw this at a student, John, how would you recommend that they treat this? In other words, and, and, I, and I kind of hear this in your response already, but you know, what would you suggest they do with my major for something, something like that? Yeah, again, I think this becomes one of your criteria. Like you should have some criteria around colleges, you know, whether that's I want highly accessible professors or I want a place with fraternity and sororities or service learning. It does, you know, those are your criteria. Well, 
the college should offer you at least a few majors that you're genuinely interested in. You know, if you think you want to study Arabic, not that many colleges offer it. Mm. You better go to a place that has it. Now, what happens when you hit third year Arabic and you realize, oh my God, I'm terrible <laughs> at languages. Um, what's the backup there? Mm -hmm. You know, and most universities have a pretty wide array. As I said, small places have a lot of options. This is the mistake a lot of kids make is, well, I got to go to UCLA because they're going to have the most choice. Well, how much choice do you need? Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not convinced that that much choice is good. And by the way, you know, having, you know, no, no, living near UCLA and knowing something about it, one of the things we laughed about when we were talking about this podcast is that, uh, you know, I happen to know, and this was a few years ago, that UCLA students come in, the most popular major they come in with is undecided. And, and I don't know if this is still true, but it was true when I, you know, a few years ago. And the one, the most popular one that they leave with is psychology, which is sort of like a catch-all major, right? Yeah. And again, from the admission standpoint, with the exception of fields that require very specific preparation, like engineering, for example, yeah. they want to see strong physics and math background. Um, most colleges don't really care, you know, so... Georgetown, for example, there's four faculties. You have to apply to one of the faculty, but you don't have to choose a major. They're looking for your suitability within that context. You know, so some students think, I'm going to be really clever. Mm -hmm. um, the School of Foreign Services at Georgetown is sort of their gold star. Everybody knows this is fantastic, uh, but it's really hard to get into. Well, I'm a guy. I'm going to apply to their nursing school because there's not many guys in nursing. So then I'll just go through the side door. Well, Georgetown is full of pretty clever people. They figured out that a long time ago. Right. So to transfer out of nursing into it is probably not going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so rather than trying to game it, why not look for the things that are sincere? So if international relations is floating your boat, get into the values of that. What is it that does mm -hmm. it? You know, Georgetown's really hard. What's another place that could al also allow me? What are the characteristics about Georgetown that um, resonating? You know, is it the fact that it's in D.C.? Well, then you got American, you got George Washington, you got Catholic. Or is it the fact that it's a Jesuit school? Well, then you got Santa Clara, you've got University of San Diego, you've got, um, you know, 28 different Jesuit colleges just in the U.S., you know? So, like, get beneath the surface. Again, the major doesn't need to define it like that. And one of the great things a lot of kids really struggle with is when they apply to a specialized major and they don't get in for the major, but they get into the school. Mm -hmm. You know, so one of my uh, kids got into Carnegie Mellon, but he really wanted computer science. Mm -hmm. He wasn't mm -hmm. admitted to computer science. Mm -hmm. This is one of those super thin slicing admission places. Um, you know, so now it became a quandary. Do I go to Carnegie Mellon to study the thing I don't want? Right. Or do I go to a place that lets me do this? Um, you know, and that's, again, a personal values choice. Mm -hmm. He ended up going to NYU to study computer science, and he ended up having an amazing experience. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think, you know, the handful of kids that really have an end in mind tend to fall in that, you know, engineering, doctor, nursing. Like, very early on, they know this is what they're meant to do, right. and they find it. Most of the rest of us... We get to wander in the desert for a few 40 days or years. <laughs> um, and I just want to point out, like, how cool it is for me, Sean, to hear you, like, just riff on other schools. And, and this is the value, y'all, of having somebody like Sean, and, you know, as an ally 
to, you know, to be able to help you find these schools. Now, if you don't happen to have a connection with a counselor who has the, an encyclopedic knowledge of schools, I just want to, this is like the, the, the interconnected reference podcast. <laughs> There's an earlier episode uh, that Stephen Antonoff does mm-hmm. where he talks about the college finder, which is a book he wrote, the listener on college express, which I'll link to in the show notes. There's just going to be like tons of links for this podcast where students can actually find different schools based on the major. So just one more application of this. If there, if you are one of these students who has a particular major you're interested in and you're looking for what type of school is good for this major, you can find out via College Finder or College Express on that. Well, and the College Express is another one of those great tools. Like if you like Columbia, you click on Columbia, there's all its list. And, you know, one of the lists is colleges in New York City. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. That might be the reason you're drawn there. Or maybe it's for the College of Lovers of Ideas. Well, that list looks very different than the New York City list. Mm-hmm. You know, the colleges with great books curriculum. Again, that's another list that Columbia happens to be on. Yeah. Weirdly, Columbia is also on the uh, list of happiest college students, <laughs> which is actually <laughs> huge. And yeah. it's not big or small, urban or rural. Like, it's really arranged. Yeah, that there's a list called the happy colleges. And I don't know, I should actually go back and ask Stephen like what, you know, what the criteria was for that. But these are, and from what I know about it is that it's a school where students were, you know, given some kind of assessment and they, the people giving the assessment determined that, oh, these are students who are, who report being happy on their campus. Not a bad thing to, uh, uh, environmental learning. Well, let me just uh, go back to Please. majors for a second. Um, majors can link to careers. They don't have to. Uh, I discovered a couple of years ago this incredibly rich uh, career development tool. It's called 80,000 Hours. Do you know this? Uh, it was started by a uh, British philosophy professor. He's actually the youngest uh, professor of philosophy in Oxford's history. So you know the guy's way smart. <laughs> Super smart. And uh, he looks at altruism. He looks at how our work has meaning in this world. Uh, he's one of the few nonprofits to enter and win Y Combinator. Um, and the result was this 80,000 hours uh, website. It's six questions. Wow. And the questions are very different than what you'd expect because the questions are driven from how do you want to make an impact in the world? He comes from the assumption that your work should have meaning in helping the world and you can help through philanthropy or you can help through direct action. Social worker, direct action, philanthropy, you make a lot of money hmm. so you can influence things. Yeah. Six questions. One of the questions is, how much do you like math? Well, different set of majors are going to come up or careers through math or not math. Right. Really fascinating stuff. Really cool. Yeah. Now, any of this stuff is the, the key here. And you mentioned ally. Your counselor is your ally. So if you take my majors or the VIA or 16 personalities, don't keep it private. Share it. And even better, you know, make an appointment, sit down and say, counselor, I took this assessment. Let's talk about it. I don't fully understand it or I'm still making sense of it. That's where the real richness comes in. And what you're giving to the counselor is material to work with because not only are they allies, they're advocates. For you, And so if they understand what drives you, what floats your boat, so to speak, they get hearing these little anecdotes and stories of how these things came to be, man, their letters are going to be so much more rich and compelling. 
This is great. And you mentioned when we chatted about this yesterday, this the, the contrast between that and what sometimes develops is more of a transactional relationship. Would you mind just saying a couple words about that and how not to do that? Yeah, you know, like you walk into your counselor's office and say, hey, counselor, I'm applying to college. Here's a form to fill out. That's a transaction. You know, that's definitely a function of what needs to happen. I cannot think of a single counselor, and I know, and I know a lot of them, that got into this business because they love filling in papers. <laughs> They love connecting with human beings, and they love playing in the future. You know, like, let's sit down, Ethan, and talk about where you're going with your life, how you want to make a difference in this world. And, you know, if you don't know, that's okay, too. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about who you are and who you're becoming. Mm -hmm. How can I support you? This is exciting to any counselor. And so, kids, if you're giving that to the counselor, it's sort of a gift because it makes their job richer and more enjoyable, and they're going to be better advocates. So you know, responding to your counselor, sitting down and working with them mm -hmm. becomes key to that element. Now, your counselor may have observations about you that you don't agree with. Your counselors may have things that they have you do that you're like, oh, really? I got to do this? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, sometimes you just suck it up and see where it goes. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah. And I love the notion of coming to them with questions and ideas and coming like, as it were, unfinished, yeah. but just sort of like, hey, here's the thing that I'm trying to figure out. I haven't quite figured it out yet, but I'd love, you know, I'd love your thoughts or I'd love your input just to begin that dialogue and to develop the relationship. Yeah. Well, it's much like the work you do with the college essays. Very few of us writers have a finished product. Right. It's not until we read it out loud. It's not until other eyes set on it that it, it, it starts morphing and becoming a much richer thing. You know, if you talk to uh, any famous writers, most of them will credit their editor right. for really helping them bring the story to life. And I think that's key within that, you know, these allies in your world. And finding the story, right? So that's yeah. another value of the counselor. Sometimes you're trying to find your story. And by story, I mean like sort of a narrative arc. It doesn't have to be the narrative arc and the narrative arc could change, but you know, that's another value of your counselor. Yeah, so, you know, piggybacking off that idea, there's uh, three other tools that I wanted to mention that go in the realm of understanding yourself, but maybe the self that you're not so proud of. Mm. You know, so all three of them actually came out of uh, research that led to books. You know, so the first one is Grit. Mm -hmm. uh, Angela Duckworth Lee out of uh, UPenn, she was actually a graduate student of Martin Seligman. Her story is fascinating. She tells it in a TED Talk, really engaging uh, uh, speaker. Uh, grit is that very American notion of stick to it. You know, uh, you know, John Wayne, true grit. Um, her research was she wanted to look at uh, what do really successful people do in different environments. So she started with the National Spelling Bee. Mm. I'm a terrible speller. I, I don't understand <laughs> the rules. I don't pretend to understand. I think my computer's my best friend, mm -hmm. and I don't understand why it doesn't know what I want to write <laughs> all the time. Yes, every time. yeah. But it corrects a lot of my mistakes. Right. Um, you know. But that's only the starting point. Well, when she looked at grit, all those kids who are making the National Spelling Bee mm -hmm. are really smart. Mm -hmm. But some do better. Mm -hmm. And what she discovered was that stick-to-itness mm -hmm. was key to learning those, you know, 16-syllable words, you know. And then she went to West Point and looked at cadets. Now, West Point, if you can get in there, you're obviously awesome. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a quarter of a million dollar free education. Mm -hmm. 
you know, this is worth something. Yet they have a real problem where uh, they're entering cadets. There's a percentage that blow out of there. Mm -hmm. Now, these guys were highly screened. Mm -hmm. The military wanted to get better at this. Again, when they looked at the fitness scores, because being in West Point means you have to be incredibly fit, that wasn't a good predictor. When they looked at leadership, not a good predictor. When they looked at um, intelligence as evidenced by SAT or GPA, again, not a good predictor. When they looked at grit, they suddenly discovered that was the distinguishing feature. Mm. And so rather than recruit for grit, they trained for grit. Yeah. So even if your grit score, like when I took this, this assessment takes you, I don't know, like five minutes. No, two minutes. It's eight questions. Mm -hmm. It's humbling. Yeah. I'm not very gritty. Yeah. Although in some areas, I'm more gritty. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's definitely one of those, it depends. But understanding that about myself allows me to cry, kind of set up accountability systems, you know, maybe ask for a friend to kind of help me. It goes back to that self-control thing, you know, yeah. like if I really wanted to get fit, that's a function of grit. Right. You know, if I had an ally kicking my butt to the gym every day, I would get fitter for sure. Right. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I'm I'm loving that you're telling folks how just how short these assessments are because and I'll probably mark it in the show notes that you know each one of these takes like 15 minutes or 10 minutes or 2 minutes but the information that it gives and so I'll say this, that you could in one way is take this set of resources and have like the most productive hour of your life, right? But then one of the great points that you just made, Sean, is that it's what you do after it and how you take the results of that and then kind of fold that back in and go, okay, well, what does this say about me? What does this mean? You know, in what cases do I apply this? So spending just a few minutes and going, okay, well, based on this, my grit score, like, what does this mean for me? And this is the kind of practical stuff that, well, I'll say on a heart level and just like self-reflection level, can potentially shift or contextualize certain things in your life, as you've been saying. For example, when I did the do what you are and I saw that the heart of my type was on helping people realize their potential and I saw that that was the juice where there was like that was real the real sweet spot for me, well, behold, suddenly I understand deeper what my work is about, why I do it, why this podcast even exists. You know, and then with think something like like this when you're talking about grit, you know, there's there's a way that that folds in on me. And then also you know, because I got to put a plug in for the college essay, this can give you context and details and, you know, information for, for your personal statement. When Angela's uh, TED Talk took off the following year in college admissions, a disproportionate number of not essays, but counselor recommendations focused on the grittiness. <laughs> uh, my friends who work in admission were like, if I read about one more gritty oh kid, gosh. I'm just going to I know. And I remember at the national conference, the the keynote was on grit. I think it was given by Jonah Lehrer or somebody yeah. where it was like grit was mentioned. And you say that to, you know, 7,000 people, however many people were there. And it's like, okay, well, that's that meme is going to spread. Yeah. So. Again, while it became a buzzword, the, there's substance behind it. Now, a similar one is mindset. And this is Carol Dweck's work out of Stanford. And mindset is, you know, sort of that how I view myself, the self-efficacy. If you say I'm just not a math person, you're limiting yourself. Mm -hmm. that, that is a limited mindset. If you say I could possibly learn this, that's a growth mindset. You know, I'm just not there yet. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so on her website, she also has a very simple self-assessment, you know, three, four minutes. And part of the beauty is the actual questions. Yeah. Like if you actually looked at the question and reflected on that, it's rich fodder for understanding yourself. And yeah. that's the whole nature of what we're talking about here today, Ethan, is how do I understand myself? Well, 
the questions Carol asks, you know, cause you to go inside and say, well, how do I respond to that? Now, her her thing is sort of a Likert scale, so you select it somewhere on there, and when you finish taking it, boom, you get a report on your mindset, and she actually gives you some uh, bullet points of how to improve your mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and really, it's the mindset piece that's limiting. Um, and I think a good counselor is often listening for kids um, and how they're limiting themselves. You know, mm-hmm. I know you did a podcast a couple of weeks back about undocumented students and, you know, they have incredible challenges that a lot of other students don't have. But one of those challenges is even just, is it possible for me to go? You know, the moment you think it's possible, suddenly your worldview changes. That's what a mindset, a growth mindset really opens up the possibility for. Right. And I'm thinking back to the first thing you said in terms of dot, 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 yet. My wife's reading this book on my daughter's two and you know, in, in French culture, when they're trying to feed children, when they're, you know, feeding children, there are two categories of foods. There are the foods that they don't eat, or sorry, they're the foods that they eat, and they're the foods that the child doesn't eat yet. <laughs> so even that mindset has shifted the way that we think about feeding our daughter. And so I love this, this notion of mindset and how it can, on a practical level, because listen to me, I'm all about the practical, shift the way that somebody is approaching a thing and which can shift behavior, which can totally shift, you know, a, a life course in the case of the, in the case I'm talking about, you know, my daughter will eat more foods because I will be inspired to, you know, think of these as being foods that she hasn't eaten yet and to continue to introduce them to her. Again, this is one of those books that, and grit similar to that. Um, it's an idea that takes about 28 seconds to explain, but they fill the whole book with yeah, it. Yeah. Now, what's interesting about the book, especially if you have love of learning or curiosity, is it gets into scientific studies yeah. that validate their contentions right up front. Yeah. So these two go hand in hand. Both of them fit firmly in that positive psychology realm I mentioned. You know, what's right with people? How, under what conditions do they thrive? And people who have a growth mindset thrive by definition. Right. Now, least you think I'm just all Pollyanna and only ever think about what's right and what's good. You know, there's the other side. And if you've studied psychology, you've encountered Jung, who he's actually the reason we have the Myers-Briggs. It was his theory that gave birth to those archetypes, extrovert, introvert, uh, sensing, uh, uh, thinking, you know, like it's rich, rich uh, territory that he was... uh, uh, exploring and uh, one of the keys there was the shadow mm-hmm. you know the shadow self uh, well there's a business guy who's taken a look at how we sabotage ourselves. Mm-hmm. you ever done something and then you're like crap I just sabotaged myself. <laughs> oh yeah yeah and you know like you kind of promise yourself I'm not going to do that again mm-hmm. and then a while later you do it again but slightly different right so maybe you learned something maybe not mm-hmm. um, so I, I don't know if I'm saying his name right but Shiraz Kamein wrote a book called Positive Intelligence. And on his website, he has a free self-assessment in which you get your list of saboteurs. He's identified 10 of them. Wow. And you sort of have, much like you have go-to strengths, you have go-to sabotages. Oh my gosh. Um, I'll take this today. This is amazing. It's so much fun. Like, So one of mine is definitely a pleaser. Mm -hmm. You know, like I tend to do stuff to help people. Well, that's a good thing in a counselor, but maybe not a good thing in drawing boundaries. Yeah. You know, So I end up working a disproportionate number of hours. Sure, I can meet you at 6 p.m. <laughs> at night. You know, Or another one of mine is a voider. You know, like a lot of counselors, I 
don't like conflict particularly much. Mm -hmm. And I get that conflict can be healthy. You know, and professionally, I've learned how to use conflict. Personally, it's still not my favorite thing. <laughs> well, you know, if you're a student, you're in high school and you're discovering for yourself your own sort of sabotaging techniques, if you will, because that's what they are. That's a great way of putting yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you don't really want to develop these any further. <laughs> but perhaps if you started noticing yourself saying those pleasing things, mm -hmm. when really inside you're like, this isn't right, and you heard that voice, mm -hmm. maybe you could step back. You know, and as you enter the college process, I mean, for me, all of this comes back to this pinnacle that we're climbing. And it's like, it's hard work. I think sometimes we make it harder than it really needs to be. Yeah. There's so many great choices out there. Like, who are we kidding? <laughs> Going to Harvard doesn't change your life. What you do at Harvard could change your life. Yeah. But by that same token, you know, a kid I went to high school with, um, he studied philosophy at University of Victoria. Do you think he's had a good life? Mm -hmm. He invented Flickr. Oh, I've, he I've heard of that. Yeah, Stuart Butterfield. <laughs> um, you know what Stuart did? He actually started a gaming company. The game sucked. But he figured out, well, inventing the game, a better way to store photos. Mm. Boom. Flickr sold it to Yahoo, became a vice president at Yahoo. Actually didn't like that corporate culture. Mm -hmm. Quit the job. Started a new gaming company. Yeah. Uh, the game didn't really work. But when they were developing the game, they developed a new messaging platform called Slack. You heard of Slack? Oh, yeah. I used Slack this morning. $4 billion property. Wow. From a mistake. Yeah. Wow. Repeat it. Now, I don't know what sabotages uh, Stuart has, um, but I bet he understands some things about himself. Yeah. And this is really what these tools are, whether you're looking at what's right with you through strengths, you know, how you move through time and space via personality, what limits you. You know, the sabotaging thing, I think, is a really fun one to kind of... Uh, get deeper beneath. It's, it's also, you know, you, you've talked a lot about making yourself vulnerable with your counselor. Well, sitting down just now and I'm saying, you know, I'm a people pleaser and I'm an avoider, you know, like that doesn't make me feel good. And yet, you know, in making that little bit of intimacy, we develop oh, a little yeah. bit of connection, you know, that, that side of things. Well, and I also, just the impact of you sharing those things with me, I'm like, I re one, I recognize those things in myself, but two, I feel closer to you. Yes. So I, I'm appreciating that share. And you know me because I'm all about, <laughs> how can we get more vulnerable? Yeah, now, now here is the last tool I'm gonna share today. Auspicious number eight. Don't anybody count because I think we actually probably had 24 that we've snuck in here. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. I'm gonna have to. We're gonna have to. I'm gonna have to go back and count just how many resources we've got, and then I'm gonna put that as the title of this. Yeah. Um, but the final one, and I'm gonna just call it number eight. Um, it is the greatest self-discovery tool of all times. Sit quietly by yourself. Mm. You can call it mindfulness. You can call it meditation. It really doesn't matter, uh, but in quieting your mind, you create space for yourself to show up. So what is this self? And this is really interesting. There's a growing body of research around mindfulness and meditation and the incredible benefits it has from improving memory to sleep, to decreasing stress, to um, helping with physical conditions like migraine headaches and pain management and things like that. Um, and I think the earlier a person engages in some sort of contemplative practice, and it doesn't need to be like sit in a lotus position and go, um, 
Now, if you can do that, that's really cool. <laughs> it looks cool too. Yeah, right? but you know, like for some people, it looks like running, mm. and you get in that zone where you forget. For another person, it's picking up the guitar. You know, one of my students we were talking about his love of guitar, and I asked him, you know, when you play guitar, tell me about time, and he goes, it disappears. Mm -hmm. You know, he enters this other world, what uh, Mikhail Chemensky I calls the flow state. Mm -hmm. You know, mindfulness is a way of creating space for you to react, mm -hmm. not, you know, like to really make a decision. And so, you know, a couple of tools that if you really wanted to get started, um, my personal favorite is called Smiling Mind. It's out of Australia. Again, it's underwritten by a foundation, so all of their stuff is free. They have an iPhone app, an Android app, uh, uh, online version. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and it's guided meditations. It's a lovely Australian gentleman guiding you. And mindfulness just seems so much better when they have this accent. Um, you know, <laughs> so it good. kind of makes you want to go there. Um, you know, so there, and then there's another one, um, uh, the meditation bell one, where I'll, I'll give you the link. Sure. Um, and this one, you know, the lovely thing there is you can create groups. Mm -hmm. So just like exercise it's hard to get going. If you had a group that you went running with, mm -hmm. you're gonna show up. Well, if you had a group to meditate with, you would show up. Now, the research, you know, if you did 10 minutes in the morning and 10 minutes in the evening, in about three weeks, things are gonna be changing in your brain in a very positive and powerful way. If you actually look, there, there's a guy named Tim Ferriss who has a fantastic podcast. Do you know his uh, yeah. show? Long-form interviews kind of like this. I think we're now pushing his, uh, his length of show. I don't know how long we've been talking for, but this has been really fun. Um, he has been sort of documenting for himself how many, and he asked, do you have some sort of mindful practice? Um, and he figures about 85% of the people he interviews has some sort of mindful practice. Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, the Terminator, the Governator, um, took transcendental meditation for a year. Mm -hmm. He said he felt the impact for the next 16 years. Mm -hmm. Like it just quieted his mind. That guy's incredibly successful. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Like maybe know. the most successful person ever. <laughs> like when you look at like what everything that Schwarzenegger, you should check out if you get a chance, the Schwarzenegger podcast with Tim Ferriss, or you can just check out in his book, Tools of Titans and read yeah. it. All that Schwarzenegger has gotten done. Yeah. Um, I, I just did some training with um, the guys from Search Inside Yourself. Search Inside Yourself is a spinoff of a little company called Google. Uh, it was started by Chade Ming Tan. Chade Ming Tan's official title at Google was Jolly Good Fellow. Mm. He was employee number 111. He was hired as an engineer. Mm -hmm. He's from Singapore, lifelong meditator, Buddhist practitioner. Um, and what he noticed was a lot of engineers aren't very good with people. Mm. But he was pretty good with people. In fact, in the history of Google, he's the only person who transferred from engineering to human resources. Hmm. And Google has this thing called 20% time where people can work on projects. And so one of the projects he started uh, doing was, how can I train people in this thing that's good for them? Mm -hmm. um, and so he consulted because it's Google, he could reach out to people like uh, Daniel Goleman at Harvard and uh, the Dalai Lama. Um, and he designed a curriculum, mm -hmm. which, you know, it's play on words, search inside yourself, yeah. which marries meditation and emotional intelligence training. Right. Um, two day format. It's a thousand bucks, but it's probably the best thousand bucks you'll spend. Wow. Um, but you can jumpstart that now simply using something like smiling mind 
um, to kind of just sit still. Now, when you first start, it's hard. And it's also like, well, nothing's happening. Mm -hmm. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. That's actually good. Yeah. Nothing's not a bad place to be. Mm -hmm. Think about your favorite book. Those pages were blank. Mm -hmm. Think of your favorite piece of art. It was blank. Mm -hmm. This podcast started from nothing. Mm -hmm. Now it's something. Mm -hmm. Nothing is a space that allows things to show up. So it doesn't need to be a formal meditation, but it needs to be contemplative and it needs to be still and silent. We, I, I think people, everybody should try this. Now, some people need a little more movement, so like running or something like that. Mm -hmm. But take out the headphones. Like, just be with yourself. That's awesome. Sean, it's time for show and tell, which is, I mean, this whole podcast has been show and tell, which is what I love about it. But this is the opportunity where we share something that, you know, either has been useful in your life and certainly you've named a few already, or you feel like could be useful in the college process. What what have you got for show and tell this, this morning? Uh, you mean beyond the... Beyond the, everything uh, else you've talked about for the entire episode. <laughs> you know, one of the things my students know about me is I'm always pushing for reading. And again, I think a mistake people make is getting lazy. You know, you got to read and read a wide variety. Read beyond your favorites. Read beyond your discipline, you know. So uh, when I was in university, I was taking a pretty intense course load and I was immensely curious about um, human beings. You know, my field of study... Uh, really delved deep into psychology, you know. So when I year after university, I re realized I hadn't read a fiction book in about five years, mm. and so I was like, "Wow, how did that happen?" You know. So then I did a deep dive into some fiction that I had missed, and you know, like, "Wow, that's a rich world." And you know, there was a study about a year and a half ago about what reading literary fiction does to your theory of mind. Mm. It makes you more empathic. Mm -hmm. Wow. It has real-world applications. Plus, it's just a cool story. Mm. You know, we live in an incredibly rich world. I grew up in a town that has a university. I could go to free talks there all the time. When I moved overseas, it was like I really missed that part, and I was living in a land. I didn't speak the language. I'm sure there was free things for me to go to. This was Thailand, and but I really missed it. Well, a few years later, that's when the Internet really, really expanded that world, and you know, podcasts became this new, rich platform to learn and discover. And more recently, TED Talks, you know, like just fantastic. Imagine if you listened to a TED Talk a day. Mm. Now, what if you took that to a, the next level? Listen to a TED Talk and then reflect and discuss. You know, get together with a friend and talk about it or journal it or something like that. I mean, I think, again, these are sort of self-discovery things. Um, you know, just kind of go with it. Mm -hmm. um, Journaling is another practice that can be incredibly powerful and helpful. There's a uh, tool called Morning Pages. Are you familiar with this idea? You know, 750 words as fast as you can first thing in the morning. Mm -hmm. Totally unutilized time. You know, I, I think you and I are similar. We're both up early often. You know, my friends joke that I never sleep. That's not true. I just happen to wake up way early, and it's, it's a beautiful, quiet, still world. Me and my cat hanging out. You know, my partner is asleep. You know, I've just got this time to mm -hmm. do interesting things without before the world collapses on you. Again, when you're a teenager, getting out of bed early seems tough. But what if you got up a half hour earlier? Yeah. Would you really be missing that much sleep? Yeah. And you use that half hour for something. Yeah. Maybe exercise, maybe meditation, 
maybe writing, maybe painting. Right. What would you accomplish in a week, a month, a year? I love it. We've just given, there are, there are four show and tells in there, and I'm gonna, I'll mark them in the show notes, but I heard at least four. Mine is the most relaxing song ever. Do you know this one? So if you Google the most yeah. relaxing song ever, there's a piece called Marconi Union. It's called Weightless, and I'll link to it in the show notes. There's a nice little YouTube video with it too. Um, but it's eight minutes long, and if you and if you read the article that I'll link yeah. to as well, they you know did a study on brain waves and how the brain is affected by different sounds and different pieces of music, and they determined that this was the most relaxing song ever. So here's your homework. Click this link and listen to this piece. Listen to it with headphones, somewhere quiet, either at the beginning or end of your day. Listen to it for a week or five days and just breathe. See what happens. Final question, Sean. Why do you do what you do? I, I love playing in the field of human possibility and potential. You know, years ago I was at this camp um, and there's this guy from Mexico named Marco and he... Uh, came from a very well-to-do family. Um, he wanted to be a banker. And I'm like, why? Like, you seem like a really good person. Okay, that sounds really <laughs> judgmental. But, you know, like it just came out like, uh, you know, pursuing the mighty dollar. And he goes, because I want to make a lot of money. I'm like, really? He goes, yeah, but not for the reasons you think. Hmm. It worries me that there's a poet who will never write a poem. Hmm. And he went on to explain, you know, he wants to use his financial success to influence poverty in his country. Mm -hmm. You know, like, and that really stuck with me. Like, wow, what would happen if, you know, like, that's a beautiful notion. And so my work with students has been tremendously exciting. My first year overseas, one of the first conversations I had was uh, with this young man from India who said he wanted to be a, a engineer and design weapons. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm a pacifist. This, And, you know, while I don't really like conflict, I was willing to get into it with him, but in a very gentle sort of way. And as we talked about what was motivating him, it was about national pride. Mm -hmm. It wasn't even about self-defense, but, you know, um, his country then exploded an atomic bomb. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's like this atomic self-esteem booth for a billion people. Mm -hmm. It was like the weirdest thing. Mm -hmm. And when we talked about it, you know, it wasn't that he was interested in killing or hurting people. He wanted to do something important for his country. Now, he ended up pivoting, still pursuing engineering, but from a more humanities base and pursuing a different form of engineering. Mm -hmm. You know, like the world can open up. You know, there, there's a guy at Google, Laszlo, uh, I forget what his last name is, but he talks about don't ask your kids what they want to do but what problems they want to solve. Boom. Yeah. And that's where I get really kind of interested. So the kid who doesn't know what they want to do, I'm not particularly bothered by that. I know that serendipity is going to cause them, if they're open to that experience. So that's what I see myself doing a lot is coaching them to be open, have that growth mindset, to tap into their strengths, recognize that opportunity when it comes along, and be brave to try it. How exciting is that, you know? The best. Sean, thank you. It's so great to talk with you. I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm meeting like a, I don't know, a brother from <laughs> ages and years ago, but there's also like a, I don't know. I'm just really grateful. Thank you. Well, thank you, Ethan. 
Thanks, friends. That's the podcast. You can check out the show notes with links to absolutely everything we went over, plus Sean's blog at collegeessayguy.com slash podcast. And if you're not on the mailing list, you can get on it and get the best of the resources that I have found in the world, in the college admissions world. Just go to collegeessayguy.com, scroll all the way to the bottom, and you can enter your name and your email. I promise not to email you too often. I promise. <laughs> Stay curious. Stay curious.